0: Today in The Journey with Steve DeWitt, we're learning about the king who washes feet.
1: It is a massive condescension for Jesus to go from where he is all the way down to actually putting himself under the disciples and washing their feet. It is one thing to wash the feet of your friends, but to wash the feet of your betrayer. Those feet are the feet that Jesus washed.
0: Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. It's rare to encounter someone who embodies both majesty and meekness because these qualities can often be opposites. But today, Pastor Steve reminds us that we have a Lord who both washes feet and wipes tears. We have a King who's both servant and Savior. It's the conclusion to an encouraging message titled, The King Who Washes Feet. And if you missed part one of this lesson, you can listen online, at thejourney.fm. Here's Pastor Steve. Today, we are going to be looking at
1: the next section here in John 13, which is verses 12 through 17, and we pick up now the story, verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. Let's take it apart. And the way I want to address this today is to ask the question what does this teach us about Jesus? And then, secondly, what does this mean for us? Okay? What does this teach us about Jesus? What does this whole foot washing thing indicate about our Lord and Savior? To explain it, he says, You call me teacher and Lord. Okay? And so this is kind of self evident. He was the rabbi, he was their teacher, Uh, they followed him. He was their Lord, and the word there isn't doesn't require us to view this as a sort of sovereignty theological kind of statement, but he was clearly in the hierarchy of the room. He's the head guy. He says, You call me Lord and teacher, and I have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. He is making an argument from the greater to the lesser. He's the greater and the, he's the greatest, <laughs> the greatest in that org chart, the one at the top, is the one who takes the lowest place. He goes from being at the top to a posture of being at the bottom, and he serves them. And the point he is making here is if I, the Lord, the teacher, have humbled myself down to doing even this very basic thing, then how how can you guys not be willing to do the same? There's no condescension in, in the eyes of God for humans to wash humans' feet because, from the perspective of God, we're, we're all equal, okay? We are, we are all creatures, we're all. We're cre- the created order, we're human beings, in our society maybe we have these little strata and different ways that we view people, but from God's perspective we are all the same. Jesus is not the same. Jesus is, is the king, he is the Lord, and yet he came down and, and did this. Is it so hard, Bartholomew, for you to wash Andrew's feet? James, can you not wash your brother John's feet? If I'm going to do what I have done, can't you do what you should do? That's his argument. But it is the enormity of the gap between who Jesus is and who we are and how he serves us that has to astonish us. And I don't care how long you've been a Christian, if you somehow have gotten over the fact that the highest one went to the lowest place and served the lowest people, and you and I are one of them, you're missing out. And so this is one dimension of our adoration of Jesus and truly our reverence of him. And he is so completely different than anybody else. He is so other. And the upper room highlights how different he is. And part of a proper Christology is realizing that Jesus holds within his character qualities that we view as basically in opposition to each other, or opposites, if you will. In the upper room, we see that he is Lord and he is love. Rare is the leader who has power who gives it away in particular to serve other people. And yet think of Jesus with me. He has all authority. All glory is his. And what does he do with it? He sets it aside. He relinquishes it. And in doing so, he takes up the basin and the towel and he shows us what true greatness really is. He is Lord and love. He is also majesty and meekness. He is majesty and meekness. And these are, again, two qualities that we don't see together. We know people that are majestic and, and, and we know people that are meek, but the majestic people we know are probably not the meek people that we know. Those two don't tend to go together. But this is what shocks us about Jesus is that he, as the Son of God, is the most majestic one, the most glorious one, And yet he is simultaneously the meekest one, the humblest one, the serving one. And those two things are hard for us to see in one person. And that is why down through church history, the heresies of the church have generally centered on this point that we're talking about, where We believe that he is fully God, fully man, but that's hard for human beings to to believe. And so heresies will say, well, he was maybe not quite as human as we are, and we diminish his humanity, or he he was not quite God uh, like we believe, and we diminish his deity. It's hard for us to believe that God was also man. He's too majestic for that. And that's why I would say that for most Christians, it is harder for us to believe the humanity of Jesus, the, majestic, the majesty of Jesus, yes, the glory of Jesus, yes, the conquering king sing these songs, he's victorious, he ruled over, but when we really come to grips with how human Jesus was and how humble Jesus was, this is an uncomfortable thing. And I'll give you an example of this just over the last couple years. Uh, There was a book that came out a couple years ago, and I have it here, called Gentle and Lowly. And this was the it book the year that it came out. And I think it's a very fine book uh, and would commend it to you. But the entire book is about the gentleness and the lowliness of Jesus. And most people liked it, but not everybody liked it. Some people thought it portrayed him as being too low, too gentle, too gentle, too lowly. And they did not like a Jesus that humble. But then we go to the upper room and what do we see? He's washing their feet. How much lower can you get than washing someone's feet? Jesus is both majestic and meek. And the thought of him on his knees washing their feet reminds us of the meekness and the gentleness of our Savior. Love and Lord, majesty and meekness. And thirdly, we see that he is Savior and servant. Look at verse 15. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. What is Jesus saying there? Besides the fact that his foot washing was a parable of his ministry and his cross, which we looked at last week, Jesus did this to give us an example, to show us how to live. If you're gonna follow me, this is the paradigm right here. It is an example of how we should live. Live. We should wash each other's feet. Now, some denominations have taken this literally. And maybe you've been a part of a denomination where foot washing was actually a sacrament of the church. And there are some uh, that do that. Some, actually, some very fine denominations that practice this as, as an actual sacrament along with baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we're going to partake in in just a moment. Uh, and so they, they take the words literally. He said we should wash feet, we're going to wash feet, and let's get together and wash feet. And there are some ancient denominations that they, they actually do this as a kind of liturgy. It's called, if I say it right, the Petalavium, Okay, The pedulavium, an annual Sunday when the clergy, the leaders of the church, wash the feet of the congregants. Now, would you come that Sunday if we did that? I don't know. But that's what they do, because they take this literally. Now, I think that's probably very helpful for congregational hygiene, to have regular foot washing, but it misses the point. Jesus is not saying here, one Sunday a year, make sure that you wash each other's feet. He is rather saying every day of the year have an attitude of servanthood towards the people around you. Okay, That's what he's getting at here. To make it clear, it is not the action of foot washing, but the attitude of foot washing. There is a lifestyle attitude. There a, is a, a posture towards people and ministry where I see myself with a willingness and an attitude of service and love where there is nobody that is beyond me, nobody beneath me. There's nothing where I'm like, nope, not going to do that. No. I remember some years ago, there was a guy that came to our church. He said, hey, you know that thing that needs to be done around the church and you're too embarrassed to ask anybody to do it? He says, I want it. And I appreciated that. I've yet to take him up on it, but it's a good reminder that I should. That's the spirit of it. It's an attitude. Is that an attitude that is present in your life? What might the people around you say? I also want to note to you that as Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he didn't call in the Jerusalem news and say, please broadcast this to everybody. I want everybody to know how humble I am as I wash my disciples' feet. He did not do that. He also did not say to the disciples, you know, I don't want you to uh, mention this in any of your Gospels. John is the only one who does. In an unknown candlelit upper room with 12 guys arguing about who is the greatest, Jesus quietly takes up the basin and the towel And he served humans infinitely beneath him. And this is an impossible example for us to follow because there is nobody that far beneath any of us. So that means nobody's beyond our care. That means nobody's too fringy for us to have a heart for, to be willing to help, to express kindness to try to seek to meet their needs, to serve others, to give of myself for their good. That's the example he calls us to follow. It is an attitude. It's an upper room attitude. Do you have it? Could you ask God today to to give it to you? Do you want to? So that's what it tells us about Jesus. Let's talk about what it tells us about us. Like What does this mean for us? How do I leave church today with a kind of upper room sense here? What does it mean for us? It means several things. The first is that humble service is commanded. Did you get that? Jesus does not say, it'd be a really great idea if you would. No. He commands us to serve. Secondly, service like Jesus is service to Jesus. I I want to motivate you biblically, and Jesus' example certainly is inspiring, but he says some other things about this that should only make us want to serve more, and one in particular is where he says this in Matthew 25, and the king will answer them, this is kind of the middle of a parable, but you'll get the sense, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, get this, you did it to me. The ministry that you did to the least of these, it actually was ministry to me. Friends, I wonder how it might change our sort of willingness to serve if we actually viewed the person in need of the service as a kind of living, breathing Jesus. They're not Jesus, okay? But God says when we treat them like that and serve them like that, that in the economy of God, it's like we're ministering to Jesus himself. So that child that is in need of something, ministry to that child is, in God's eyes, a ministry to him. That elderly saint whose best days are behind him, who now is a little bit more of a burden than a blessing, that elderly saint, ministry to them is, in God's eyes, ministry to him. Pick your sort of fringy kind of person that maybe is awkward or off putting or whatever it is. When we, with a heart like the upper room, go to them, minister to them, in the eyes of God, in the economy of God, it is ministry to Him. And Jesus here urges us to realize that the way that God sees that insignificant person who has nothing to offer us, there is no kickback to us whatsoever. That kind of loving, one-directional care is a blessing to them and is a blessing to us, which is the, the, the last point that I have here, which is that doing trumps knowing. Look at John 13, verse 17. I could do a whole message on just this verse. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. In context, this applies to the service that we are offering to others following the example of Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but it applies broadly as well, okay? If we were half as good at our doing as we are our knowing, we all would be better Christians, wouldn't we? Now, we're a church. We celebrate knowing here, okay? We like like the knowing part. We like the intellectual. We like the loving God with our mind, part of things, so we have Bible studies, and there's different groups that are, you know, the theology class that's kicking off, and, and uh, even what we're doing right now, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to share information that is compelling to you, but it is merely information at this point. It's going in your ear and into your brain. What Jesus is saying here is that the knowing part of this is not the blessing. It is the, the doing part of this. That is the blessing. It is not hearing a great message, or maybe a mediocre one, about foot washing. It is when we actually go and wash feet that the blessing comes. Blessed are you if you do them. Now, I know many of you grew up in legalistic type settings, so anytime a sermon sounds like there's something that you got to do, you start having PTSD, And I want you to realize that this is not a legalism. What Jesus' point is doing here is he's putting a carrot out here and is saying, any of my disciples with the attitude that I'm showing here in the upper room who willingly and gladly serve people who have nothing to offer them, that there will be a blessing from God that will come to you. Well, what kind of blessing, Pastor Steve? You know, I like chocolate. I don't know what kind of blessing, but it's the kind of blessing that when you're blessed by God, you're glad you're blessed by God. The blessing from God in serving is better than whatever blessing you get laying on the couch and doing diddly squat. There are many of you who are missing out on blessing from God because you are knowing, but you're not doing. And I say that to myself today as well. Steve, how can I up my game? So I wonder, as I talk about insignificant people, people that have nothing to offer us, is there anybody coming to your mind that you could, as an act of faith, leave here today, purposeful, to wash their feet, to serve them in some way? And might you purpose to do so? And perfectly say, dear God, I'm trying to not just be a knower, I want to be a doer of the word. Please help me. And what if you claim this promise? And when that, those feet come at you and they're stinky and they're dirty, and you're like, oh, God, not this. You certainly couldn't mean this. I want something more comfortable, less stinky and dirty, Claim the promise, blessed are you if you do it. So people of the upper room, let Jesus' example of foot washing shape Bethel Church's culture to love the least with an attitude of eagerness and care. And I conclude with a final thought that maybe you have in your mind, which is that, wouldn't it be great if we could go in a time machine and go all the way back, and wouldn't it be great to be one of those disciples in the upper room and to have the Son of God wash your feet? Man, I wish I could have been there. I got better news for you, Christian. What lies ahead is better than being in the upper room. Why do I say that? Well, the good news is is that Jesus is going to wash something closer than our feet. The promise of Scripture is that he will wash our face. Where do I get that? Revelation 21. He will wipe every tear, get this, from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. You know what's better than a Jesus foot washing? A Jesus face washing. Because to wash my feet, you're six feet away from me. But to wash my face, you're in my face. And to realize the same gentle hands that washed Peter's feet and Bartholomew's feet and, and Judas's feet, Those same nail-scarred hands someday are going to be so close to you, Christian. That face is gonna be so close to you. And he is with those same hands going to wipe away whatever tears may be on your cheek. Think of it. He is Lord and love, majesty and meekness, savior, and servant, so close that his hands will wipe your face. That day is coming. He is the king who washes feet. He is the king who wipes our tears. Long
0: live the king. Amen. You're listening to The Journey and the conclusion of a message called The King Who Washes Feet. Replay the full message online at Thejourney.fm. Or subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite podcast app for The Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Today, Pastor Steve revisited a powerful moment in the life of Jesus. The story of him washing the disciples' feet. Now picture this: the Son of God, the most majestic and glorious one, taking on the humblest of tasks, washing the feet of those he loved. It's a vivid illustration of humility and service a call to action for us to embody that same spirit in our lives. And here's where you come in. As a listener-supported ministry, our listeners have the special opportunity to extend the ministry of Jesus Christ through this radio program. Your generous donations to the journey help us continue to spread the message of love and compassion that Jesus exemplified through His powerful act of washing feet. So let's join hands in this spirit of generosity. Your contributions, no matter the size, can make a significant impact. You can call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And to say thanks for your gift, we'll send you a book that you can read along with our current series. It's titled, Decision Making and the Will of God. Most Christians have been taught how to find God's will, yet many are still unsure whether they found it. This book presents a fresh and liberating approach to God's will that will give you the confidence that you need to live with purpose. Request your copy today by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763, or visit thejourney.fm. Well, I'm your host, Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us next time for more teaching from Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.